All right. Thanks, Pete. How's everybody doing tonight? It's great to see you out on a Wednesday night. And um, really glad that you are here with us. I'm excited for what the Lord has for us tonight. You know, it's been a pretty crazy couple of weeks, hasn't it? And um, I know for myself, when I watched that video of George Floyd being murdered, it just really broke my heart, big time. And, um, and I found myself, you know, the book of James, it tells us to be um, slow, quick to hear and slow to speak. And although I had thoughts and I had opinions and, you know, that type of thing, I found myself just needing to listen. And I called some of my uh, friends that are, are black, and I wanted to just talk to them. I wanted to hear from them. I wanted to hear how they were processing things and just how they were, you know, thinking about and handling, um, you know, just kind of what they were seeing and hearing and, you know, that type of thing. And one of those uh, friends that I called and talked to um, was my friend Bill Buffington. He's the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Inglewood. Um, Great work that God is doing up there through um, him and his family and his team there. And um, we had just a really, really great conversation. And so I, afterwards, I was like, hey, um, I do this podcast and a, a radio show, and would, would you mind going on there and we can talk about this? And so um, he agreed, and we uh, did the taping of that last Tuesday. And um, it's going to actually be on K-Wave this Friday afternoon at 4 o'clock. Um, some of what we talked about you'll actually hear tonight. And um, the podcast, I think, is going to come out on Thursday of this week. And, um, and, but after we were talking, I just so enjoyed and so was blessed and encouraged by what Bill had to share. I said, hey, would you mind coming down and talking with my staff? And, um, and then after that, come and talk with our church. And he graciously agreed. So he spent a couple hours this afternoon, he and his wife, uh, Mika, with our staff. And then he's here tonight. And I'm really looking forward to having this conversation together. And so would you please welcome my friend Bill Buffington. So, this is Bill. <laughs> Good evening, family. Good evening. And, uh, Bill, why don't you just start off by sharing with everybody here tonight kind of your story, how you came to Christ, and kind of where you grew up, and just give us a little backstory on Bill okay. Buffington. Um, so, I grew up in uh, the city where I'm in right now. I grew up in Inglewood my whole life. And uh, as a young guy, uh, my parents divorce between first and second grade that was a that was a life alteration and uh both my parents struggled with substances my mom with alcohol my dad with drugs so there was uh probably a lot more liberty and freedom for me as a young guy than uh was typical and so me and my sister who are a year apart uh we were really tight and we kind of did our thing i i never i didn't fully get immersed in gang stuff i was i grew up around gangs uh, i dabbled in gangs uh never more than you know fist fighting i more got into about about 10th grade um i wanted to make my own money you know it was a uh, uh I think something about living in a, you know, growing up in between parents that are divorced and you ask for shoes over here, ask your dad, ask my dad, I pay child support, you know, something in that, in that did to me where I'm like, I need my own money, you know, sick of this, you know, so um, I started selling weed and then I started doing credit card scams and so forth and so on. And that was, that was kind of the road that I was going down. So in high school, I'm, I got my own little ways to make money, um, into partying. Um, by the end of high school, I drink every day. I don't know I'm an alcoholic yet, but I drink every day. And about a year after high school, I uh, got a girl pregnant. Um, and so I tried to, it was the first time I tried to fix myself, you know, because I'm, I'm I always been raised. I love kids. And I'm like, man, I'm not going to be the kind of guy that bails on my kids. I'm not going to do it. So I really wanted to clean up my life so I could be a dad to uh, this girl. And that was when I found out I didn't have the power to do it. And so tried to quit drinking, couldn't do it. Tried to, you know, tried to straighten myself up several times and there was no power to do it. God in his mercy, a friend of mine who uh, my buddy Curtis Bynum 
uh, he got born again the last year of high school. So, um, and that ended our, we, we were, we were tight buddies hung out. And then after high school, he got saved and he didn't hang out with us no more. And I thought, man, his girlfriend has him whipped, you know? And so <laughs> he graduated high school, literally graduated high school and married her like the month after. And so I'm like, that's, that's some kind of whipped. I don't know about it, you know, but, um, God, as God would have it about a, uh, you know, I get, I, I have, I have the baby. Uh, I don't have a baby, but y'all know, you know, I have a baby and, um, I move into this apartment and my buddy Curtis and his wife move in right upstairs from me. And, uh, and this is a guy I grew up with from the same neighborhood. I, you know, there'll, there'll always be love between us. And he started to share the gospel with me, uh, gave me my first Bible and the Lord used him to chip away at all my reasons and excuses and excuses and reasons. And the Lord used him to convince me that he loved me and that I was going to hell if I didn't get saved. Um, and so in October of 1995, a combination of my buddy Sharon and somebody handed me a track. Uh, someone handed me a track at LAX airport and it said on the front, what to do to go to hell. And when you open up the track in bold print, it said nothing. And it had John 3.18 that you're condemned already because you don't believe in the name of the only begotten son of God. And that was, I, I called him. I said, bro, I, I want to get saved now. And uh, he said, I'll take you to church Sunday. And uh, he took me to Calvary Chapel, South Bay. On a Sunday night, it didn't matter what the guy preached. I was going down and I went and got saved and committed my life to the Lord. And I went, I was serious. I said, man, I don't want to play with God. My whole life, I've known people that were supposedly Christians um, that, that, that played games. I'm like, I want to, I want to walk with God, you know, and uh, that began my walk with the Lord. October 1995, it was radical. The Lord delivered me from alcohol, from anger, from being greedy, uh, from money. He changed my life. It was a radical turnaround. Uh, two months into it, because uh, I wasn't really the single type at 19 years old, I was, you know. So uh, two months into my, you know, walking with the Lord, I met my wife who's sitting right there, all fine and, and everything like that. And she was already saved. Yeah. She was already saved. And so... Um, you know, I was like, I'm saved too, you know, so, but, uh, I was still pretty rough around the edges. So she, um, she spent a few months like trying to detect if I was really saved or just acting saved. But, um, from meeting her to marrying her was about a year and a half. And then we've been married for 23 years as of May 24th. Yeah. So that's a little bit about me and what the Lord has done. God has been good to me and I'm thankful for it. So. And how long have you been pastoring the church now in Inglewood? Uh, we planted Calvary Chapel Inglewood in May of 2010. Yeah, awesome. So when I called Bill last week and when I was talking to a few of my other friends, you know, one of the things I wanted to, to do was to sort of get into their mindset. And I just wanted to, to learn and I wanted to um, just kind of understand you know, how they're processing things, but also some of the things that they would go through that maybe I would never experience. And so, Bill, I, I want you to share um, with us here, you know, what has your life been like and what are some of the things that you've had to go through or experience as a black man that I probably never would as a white man? Um, so one of those, and that's something we had talked about earlier, was is my... My, my, my encounters with law enforcement, um, I'm positive are different as a black man than, uh, if, if, if I could ever put on white skin, it would be when I get pulled over. If I could just go white man, you know, I would do it. So, um, and, and, and by no means do I think, you know, I, I don't think all law enforcement officers are bad guys. I know there's some great guy, the guy that led me to the Lord, by the way, um, he went on to, you know, he serves the Lord as a law enforcement officer. I got brothers in my church that I love dearly that serve the Lord in that way. I got kids that grew up in my high school group that are police officers. So um, I don't believe all law enforcement is bad. However, uh, growing up in the inner city um, and encountering police as a young man, you do see. So some of the things that today are coming up on social media and they come up in videos. I've watched this my whole life. I know that they're dirty cops. I know that cops uh, go above and beyond. I know some, I know guys will beat up people because you got on their nerves. I know cops that will, you know, they will 
you know, plant things on people that are not, that, you know, because you said the wrong thing or you got on their nerves or they, or they want you to go to jail. They think you are guilty. So um, for me growing up, I had good and bad encounters. I had encounters with police that were doing their job. I had encounters with police that were gracious and merciful and kind to me. I also had encounters with police that were dirty. I, uh, when I was selling drugs, I had on three occasions, I had police that robbed me of my money and my drugs or just my drugs. Uh, and that means that they pull you over, they catch you, they should take you to jail. But if you just take my money and my drugs, that means that you are dirty. Because that means I, and in essence, they're saying, look, we're going to let you go, but without these things. Um, and so that happened to me multiple times. This is as a young guy. So I'm learning at that time, wow, that these guys are, some of these guys are dirty, you know. Um, I understood growing up, my mom schooled me. My mom's, one of my mom's girlfriend's husband was a police and my mom had him come over and school me. Look, when you get pulled over, don't do this. Don't do that. They're, they're just some rules. If you're a black man, there's some rules you need to follow so you can make it home. Um, I, in turn, I'm a dad of sons. I have two black sons. I got one that I'm teaching to drive right now and I got to teach him the same things. I want him to be aware. I want him to, uh, I don't want there to be a bad situation with any of my kids. So, um, those are some of the things, just, just the dealings with law enforcement, positives, negatives. And as much as I, you know, the, the positives are, I'm thankful for, it's the bad ones that kind of stick with you. Um, and they, they carry a fear. You realize that those people have a lot of authority. So if you got a bad checker outer person at the, the grocery store, they don't have that much authority in your life. So you're a bad checkout person. You know, I'll just go to another line next time. You get on my nerves, you know. But if you're a bad cop, you know, you can send someone to jail. You can kill someone, you know. Um, they have a, a lot of authority. So people in authority um, that are not, you know, using it properly it's uh it it it, it's, it has an impact on on your life so. would you mind sharing about your your son and that experience oh my autism oh, yeah. yeah i have a son that's autistic and um because of his autism he doesn't have your typical responses if you were to walk up to him in a car and talk you know he's he makes noises he makes sounds he might not respond the way that would be typical uh, and it's a fear of mine because he's a big black boy. You know, he's a he pretty husky. He's a fella. He's a big fella, you know, and I would hate for I'm, it's a fear that a police would pull us over and be, you know, not understand why he's not doing what I said, do why he's not. Why isn't he listening? And so we were pulled over. I was coming from a karate tournament for my other son from Las Vegas and I was speeding and I got pulled over. Uh, I actually think I passed the cop up. And so uh, I, I messed up bad. I, I, I earned that ticket. No, no questions about it, you know. Um, but my first overwhelming thought was, you know, let me, I, I felt like I had to right away let him know. I, and my son in the back is autistic. Like, you know, just, just, just talk to me. Don't, don't talk to my son or whatever. And, and that cop was a, a, a great guy. Um, he gave me a ticket, but he did reduce it. So I didn't have to go back to Las Vegas. So I, I, I thanked him for his grace and mercy and I, I bless him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were talking before, um, the service when I was in high school and I was going to a baseball tournament in Irvine and, um, there was a detour where the exit I was supposed to get off, we, it was closed. So we had to go to the next exit, and I was backtracking down this street. And Irvine, if you know Irvine, it's a predominantly you know, white um, community. And um, so I'm coming around this, this corner, and there's a four-way stop, but I'm going way too fast to, to stop. So I kind of hit my brakes. I looked to my left, and there was no cars coming, so I punched it, but I looked to my right, and there was a police officer sitting right there, and he was actually eating his lunch, and um, I literally saw his lunch go out the window <laughs> as his lights turned on, but I quickly tried, I turned down the first street, I was going to try to ditch him, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to lose this cop, you know, and he finally catches me, he called my friends, but, you know, he didn't do anything, I mean, he was upset, but he didn't, you know, he didn't even have me get out of the car, but we were talking about how that would have been a much different situation for Bill and his friends because of his color, you know, especially um, in a, a community like Irvine, and um, so I think it's important you know, to understand that, um, you know, our friends, uh, our black friends, and even sometimes our Hispanic friends um, have a different experience than, than we do when it comes to 
um, law enforcement, but you are not anti-law enforcement, though. By any means, not at all. I'm, I'm thankful for them. Uh, everybody I know, all, the, all my friends that serve, I made sure last week I personally reached out to them and prayed for them. Let them know we're praying for them. That I know that there are bad cops and they make it. They make life difficult on the guys that are trying to do a good job out there. So yeah. And I think, in, and we can understand this because a lot of you have, you know, friends that have maybe had a bad experience with a Christian who did not represent Christ in the right way. And now you have friends that want to have nothing to do with the church, right? How many of you have friends like that? Because that's been their experience. Yeah. And um, so we can understand from that, you know, how those experiences that we go through do shape the way that we view things. Although it might not be the right way that we're viewing it, but it does shape the way that we're viewing things. Um, The next thing I want to ask you, Bill, is what was your reaction when you saw that video of George Floyd being killed? Yeah, initially I was I was really shocked that it went on for so long that um, I mean, you could hear him crying out. You could hear the person holding the camera phone, you know, saying he's, he can't breathe. You know, they, like with all that was happening and then you just saw the smug look on the officer's face. I was I was in disbelief that. That that happened. And then as I, you know, you watch it two or three times, and you're like, man, this is 2020. The fact that that could happen in broad daylight in 2020 is, it's unbelievable, but it's unsettling because it's like, man, that's, this is still the world we live in. You know, like that, I'd like to think that that couldn't happen. That's something like a guy that wasn't fighting, wasn't resisting. He was already subdued. He was already handcuffed. It's like, um, it, it, it's hard, it was hard to watch and even the process afterwards, like, man, because that's one of many that was maybe the, I think that was so bad because it was so long and it just was like, man, it wasn't like it was a moment or a burst of like, you're just you're just going to kneel on this man's neck with your full weight as a grown man. Like that was hard to watch that, you know, that that, that could be that something like that could be happening. Um, but, you know, that. That's a reality. You know, that, that happened. And that we only know about it because somebody was standing by with a camera phone. And that's, that's something that I think in a black community, you know, today with social media and all this stuff, a lot of people are being brought into, you know, life in the inner city. You know, that these aren't new things. It's not like the police have gotten worse. There's just video cameras everywhere. Every, everybody and their mama has a phone and can record it. So the things that we have seen like this, it's usually some bystander's phone. Right. Um, and there are times in the inner city where if you get caught holding up your phone, they'll take your phone or smack it out of your hand. They don't, they don't want to be, you know, um, you know they, don't, they don't always, I guess if you're doing bad, you don't want to be recorded, you know. So. <laughs> so your first reaction was disbelief and then probably heartbreak? Yeah, it was disbelief. It was, it was grief, you know, like, man. And it is grief for the broken world that we live in, you know, so... That was to the video. Um, and, and then I guess there was a whole other set of reactions um, just experiencing people's response because some, some responses were shocking to me. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now let me ask you this, this question. So what would you expect my response to be to, to that as a white man who is a Christ follower? Right. I would just as a Christian, I would I would expect you to see a man murdered and think that you would be sorrowful that man, that's 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 terrible that that happened, that there be a a sorrow for this man whose life has been taken. His daughter's dad is gone. His family been robbed, like just grief and sorrow that man, that's that's that an unlawful death happened. You know, um, that would be. I, I wouldn't care if he was green, you know, like whatever color the guy was that that someone is killed on on camera for the world to see. I would think that a believer would look and think, man, what a what a jacked up world, yeah. you know, um, that there'd be grief for that. And then one of the things I, I asked you last week, um, and I think this is a good question for all of us. I think a lot of us here, you know, who are white in the room have sometimes the, when we see things like this and it breaks our heart, um, we're not sure how to respond. 
Um, because in some ways it, it can maybe feel a little trite um, in, you know, in, in the way we respond. Like, for instance, if, if you um, know somebody that just lost a loved one and that has never happened to you, and, you know, you want to respond, but then there's this thing in you that, that at the same time, you, I think you wrestle with, like, oh, man, you know, they, they know I've never been through that. And I, I feel like these words are going to be shallow, you know, when I say, oh, I'm so sorry or, or whatever. But um, I want to ask you to just help all of us when, mm-hmm. when this type of thing happens and we see, you know, uh, the footage of like George Floyd or Ahmaud Aubrey or, you know, any of these, you know, deaths we've had in the, the last couple months. I think there's been six of them. Um, what, what is a good way for us who are not black to respond to and reach out to our friends who are black? What, what, what should we say? What should we not say? Um, can I start with what you should not say? Sure. Uh, so you should not say, uh, you know, I wonder what he did wrong. Uh, I wonder, you know, I wonder what, you know, I've seen that happen where, you know, some people's immediate response was in defense of the law enforcement as if they, they couldn't be wrong in this. And that's just offensive. Cause you, you I mean, if you, if I'm watching a video of you smack your wife 10 times, um, there, I shouldn't say, I wonder what she did to deserve that. You know, I should be saying this man should not be smacking that woman like that, no matter what she did. You know, that's, um, that's wrong no matter what she did. You know, so um, I would say not to be dismissive, not to, not to start. Dis- I mean, I, I had literally people that I know that right away start defending without any information. Their, their immediate response was probably something, you know, there's probably more to this than we can see right now. So um, that it's probably that's that's like that's offensive on top of what's already happened. But and then explain wh- explain why that's offensive. It, it's offensive because it it says that guy's life, you know, just it's, it's basically saying his life is not valuable. Like it's you know probably something something there, there was something this man could have done to warrant uh, execution on the spot in the middle of the day. You know, it's what that says. And there wasn't anything that he would have done. You know, I mean, there's the guy that went into the church and shot and killed people. Uh, There's a picture of him sitting behind the police car with them giving him water to drink, you know, uh, quenching his thirst uh, after a killing spree. You know, so there's whatever this man did, he deserved his day in court. You know, he deserved proper justice, not death on the spot. So um, so it's offensive. And it, it, it does say that, man, there's no no. We don't, I don't grieve over his death, you know, Um and, and it, when someone that I know says it, I'm like, that's, that's might be, that's how you feel about black people. You don't value, it feels like you, you don't value our life. Like we could just be snuffed out and, and maybe we're just that bad where that, that we probably deserve that, you know, that's how it feels. Um, so those things are not, not a, particularly, I'm not really talking about non-believers. They get a pass. They don't know Jesus. And I'm trying to reach them. I'm talking about people I know that are Christians and pastors that, have said things like this, where it's like, man, like, you know, I hope there are no black people in your church because they're going to all be hurt by you. You know, they're not going to be ministered to by that. It'd be better if you just did say nothing, you know. Um, then in, in terms of the flip side, like, what, what do we say? Um, I think we'd be prayerful. You know, he, he mentioned the verse earlier, quick to hear, slow to speak. It may be taking a moment and processing. Um, as an example, I, I had a guy, um, I, me and my son breed dogs. And there's a guy that I've done business with and they're not, they're not believers, but they're Hispanic. And they were looking at all of the stuff on the, you know, black lives and all the stuff. And he's like, I'm sick of this. He vents on his Instagram. You know, I'm sick of all this blankety blank. He's cussing. And he's like, what about, and he starts naming, um, some of the things that are happening with Hispanics and, you know, kids that have been taken from parents and so forth and so on. What about this? Where's the, where's the outrage for this? Where's the rioting for that? You know, I'm sick of blah, blah, blah. And my response, because I don't, I didn't want to say nothing, because um, again, this guy's a non-believer. He just vented his hurt. He just vented his frustration. So I said, "Hey, bro," I said, um, I, I, "I understand how upsetting those things are, bro." I said, "The thing that happened to George Floyd is wrong. Um, these things that are kids being ripped away from parents is wrong." I said, "Man, I'm praying that God would really." 
um, make that God would really make changes in, in this world. Man, there's a lot of there's a lot of hurting people praying for you. That's it. I mean, I didn't want to to me to say nothing would be inappropriate. Um, it was also not a time to correct him. Um, it was just saying, hey, I, I, I agree that that's wrong, too, you know, um, and I leave it at that. So I think sometimes just, man, letting people know hey, I'm praying for I'm praying for this situation. Um, as Christians, that's something we all should be doing anyway. Um, so it's not trite. It's not, it's not, um, it's not insensitive. That's the most that we can do. I am crying out to God for, for him to work in, 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 in this, in this situation that's going on. Um, and I'm sorry for, you know, there's a number of things, just, just any kind of sorrow, just the Bible says we weep with those and we, we, we mourn with those that mourn. And so it may not be your issue and it may, it may not be an issue that even touches you, but when you see that, wow, this, these people are really impacted by this. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I'm, we're, I'm part of the body of Christ. And if you're hurting, I'm going to hurt with you. Um, and maybe you don't even understand enough to hurt. And maybe it's just talking. I've talked to man, every white friend I have, you know, I, <laughs> that have reached out. I've been on the phone. I've been zooms. I've been, you know, they, they, there are people that I know that are like, man, where I live, we don't have this, you know? So, um, school me and, and enlighten me, you know? And sometimes, that's the most loving thing to do is, you know, let me let me try to understand so I can pray with some passion about what other people are going through. So it's good. Thank you. Um, you know, Jesus told us. I give you a new commandment. That you're to love one another. Now, that wasn't the new commandment. The new commandment was the second part. When he says, you're to love one another as I have loved you. That he gave us this example. And he said, and by this, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That they see this, this love. And you think about, as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? Jesus left heaven, entered into our world, and he died there. And I think that that is a great picture, you know, for us is to be willing to enter into our brother's world and, and die there. You know, die to our opinions, die to our, you know, what, whatever. And just a, a sense of coming with that, that heart um, that is, you know, willing to just enter into his world. I think Paul the Apostle then, you know, kind of adds to what Jesus says there in John 13 when he makes this statement in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, where he says that we are to carry one another's burdens. And in doing so, he says, we so fulfill the law of Christ. We fulfill the command of Christ. What was the command? Love one another as I have loved you. And in doing that, as we carry one another's burden, I think one of the the ways that we can carry, you know, the burden of our black, black brother or sister is to you know, come alongside them and to empathize and just to be like, hey, I am so sorry that that happened. I'm so sorry. I, I agree with you, you know, that that is a tragedy, that that should never have happened, that that was horrible, that, you know, when I watched that, it broke my heart. Um, for, for us to respond in that way, um, that's not offensive to you. That's helpful. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's what you're, that's the, not, that's what you would expect, you know, just, Someone that, as a believer, you know that man. I, that I, I agree. I feel the same way that you do about that. We're we're together. You know, um, we have watched an injustice. We're believers, and man, that's sad that that happened. It's wrong, and we're praying. That's that's enough. Yeah. You know, because it's, none of us can fix it. None of us can make it stop. But right. we can, you know, express our concern and love, and um, not push it away, not act like it didn't happen, or. Um, or worse, that, you know, somehow it were justified or he deserved it, you know. Um. You know, it's funny because you said that that's what I would expect. And in some ways to me, I mean, just I'm just being real here. It seems like it's common sense to me, you know. Um, and when you were saying like some people that you know, and these are Christians and even some of them that have been pastors who have wanted to change the narrative and say, well, what did that guy do? Or, you know, he must have deserved this or look at his background or whatever it might be. And, and to me, I thought about this, you know, analogy, um, it would almost to me be like this. And I think some of us have experienced this where somebody, you know, gets killed in an automobile accident 
and you find out that um, they weren't wearing their seatbelt and they got thrown from the car. And so you say this to their loved one. I bet you if he wasn't wearing his, or if he would have been wearing his seatbelt, he'd still be with us. Now, that might be a true statement, but that's not what you want to say in that moment to that person who is grieving. But people do that. They say things like that, where it's just like, have you, you, know, have you lost your mind, you know? Um, but to me, it's like, that's a, you think that's a good analogy? That's a great analogy. It's just, it's just the wrong thing to say at that moment, you know, that that's, it's irrelevant right now. They're dead. They're hurting. Yeah. What do you say to hurting people? You know. And, and I think as Christ followers, no matter what the situation, no matter what the person, we have to realize that that person that just died, whether it was in the car wreck or was you know shot by a couple of guys or was killed by a police officer, that's a person that the Bible says has been created in God's image. And that's a person that the Bible says that Jesus loved enough to leave heaven and come to die for. And our hearts should break that there's a person who, you know, we don't know if they knew Christ or not, but if they didn't, they're going to be spending eternity in hell now. That, That should break our heart. Yeah, because it's almost like Satan got a double. You know, like I got a murderer out of this person, and I, you know, someone they weren't. If they argue, they both weren't saved. I got you as a murderer, and I got this person in hell. Boom, you know. And so, I think the believer has to grieve over 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 all of it, you know, and be praying, Lord, help us to help us to be about the business of preaching the gospel, because that's on, that's the only thing that's going to change the hearts of men, you know. Now, Bill, when we talked last week, you shared something with me that I, I found to be kind of an interesting perspective. And when, when you shared with me that you are okay with peaceful protest, but you're against rioting and looting, but you unfortunately see the purpose that those things serve. Can you explain that? Yeah. So... Um, Obviously, when these sort of things happen, which in the black community, it's, it's regular. It's, it's not a it's not a rare thing. And so um, there's oftentimes peaceful protests, um, even, you know, with churches and Christians and whatnot. Um, and then there's, you know, what we see happening after this, the riots. And um, as a believer, I do not agree with rioting. It's also sin. It's stealing and destroying um, other other innocent people get hurt. But I am in a unique place where I would say I understand why. And if I, I would explain it like this. Um, in 92, um, there was the Rodney King, um, the L.A. riots uh, as a result of the Rodney King beating. And that was that was maybe one of the first times, you know, camera phones were pretty new. Um, you know, it was the police were caught beating this man to a pulp. Um, and so, you know, he had a fractured skull, broken bones, knocked out teeth. And um, it looked pretty clear because of the video that. These officers are going to, you know, come be brought to justice. All the protests up until the court date were peaceful protests and everybody was awaiting justice, you know. And so the day of the court trial or whatever, all four officers were acquitted, which sent the message to the black community that the police could beat you to a pulp. It could be caught on tape. And after going to court they'll be exonerated, you know, for it. It was okay. And so then there were riots. And I, at the time, I was uh, between 10th and 11th grade. Uh, I was not saved, so don't judge me. Uh, I participated in the riots. It was like, it was, this, it was a scream. It was like, you know, this, you know the, the, the chant was no justice, no peace. The idea was if we can't get justice, then we're going to tear up the world and not give people peace. That's all, that's all we could do. It's very destructive. It's not right. It's sinful. However, it's effective. You know, at the end of the riot, I mean, at the end of the riot, we rioted and everything else. And then they had the civil trial. And again, everyone was waiting again because, you know, it's like if they don't do the right thing, we're going to we're going to riot again. And so after the rioting, then those officers were brought to justice. Two of them went to jail for 30 months. Two of them were fired prior to the this. None of them were fired. They still were getting paid. Um, And so 
the, unfortunately, you know, it sends the wrong community, the wrong message to the community, which is we won't hear you. Peace. We will not give you justice up front. Your peaceful protests don't move us. But rioting, it kind of it kind of it kind of it kind of gets us moving. So I ask people this. Is it wrong? Is it wrong that they didn't give us justice up front or is it wrong that we rioted? Who was wrong first? You know, if um, if 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 Rob. Now, this is a bad analogy because we're Christians, but let's take us back to B.C. That Rob smacked me in the face. We would all agree like that was wrong. Why did Rob smack that man in the face? And then if I caught Rob the next day and I punched him in the nose, that would be wrong, too. You know, who was more wrong? Who was wrong first? Did I punch him because he smacked me? You know, um, one thing preceded the other. When I look at riots and injustice, if if they would just give justice up front to people of color, People in the inner city, I think that people wouldn't be crying out for justice with uh, in these very unbiblical ways. But these are non-believers primarily, so um, you know they're not right. It's uh, destructive. But even in this case right now, initially the officer that killed the man uh, was arrested pretty pretty quickly. Um, but the officers that stood by and watched, who were also uh, guilty, um, none of them provided aid to the man that was crying out for help. None of them were charged. Then after all of the unrest, now they've also been arrested and brought to justice. And it just seems like it, it, it would be great if justice happened up front and it's not happening up front. Um, the riots are wrong. And this is what I'm convinced of. I, I really don't have a hope that we're going to see a world where that all gets fixed. Um, you know, as long as we have sinners governing sinners, um, it's going to be crooked. It's going to be broken. Uh, I don't believe that there'll be real righteous government until Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning. Amen. Uh, so we look forward to that day. Um, but in the meanwhile, I think as believers, we want to, um, I, I want to be, a, I don't want to say things that are, that are, that don't, that don't consider all the pieces, you know? So, um, for me, I've had people that were more upset about the looting and rioting than they seem to be about the unlawful death, you know? Uh, so I know people that they didn't say anything about the death, um, but then they were appalled that the community's being torn up. I'm, I'm bummed about both, you know? I, I think that's wrong. Uh, I think this is terrible. The difference is this. If you, I mean, st- tore up stores and everything else, it is affecting someone, and it's bad that that's happening. That stuff is replaceable. This man's life is gone. You can't get it back. His, his daughter will never have her dad back. Um, and I don't know where along the way that even believers have lost, like, you don't see the difference between a, a life and stuff. And again, I'm, I, don't, I don't justify the riots. I'm just saying I'm not able to say I don't understand. And I wish it weren't that way. Uh, I wish it didn't come to that. I wish that things would happen better over here. Uh, and it wouldn't result in this over there. Um, and and I hope that, you know, maybe even through this situation here is so many more people have gotten involved that maybe there'll be changes that come. Um, but it, it's a reminder, you guys, that we live in a very broken, fallen world. And I think the temptation can be to really get into this. I know for me, even where I live and I've got to be I've got to continue to pull myself back and say, I got to I'm 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 already part of the solution and that I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what everybody on every side of every situation needs to be hearing. I got to be careful that that's what my voice is given over to more than anything else, the gospel. I don't believe in another answer. I don't believe a government can fix it. I don't believe that, that I, don't, I don't believe there's any governance of man that's going to fix these things. Um, I believe that parts have to be transformed. Yeah. yeah. The answer isn't a political answer. It's a spiritual answer. Yeah. Um, but the, unfortunately, it's the riots that oftentimes bring about justice. Right. And that's part of the broken system that we're living in because um, our system's run by sinners. Um, now, there's a, a statement that has been brought up a lot, um, systemic racism. Um, can you explain what that is? You, he shared this with our staff today, and I just mm-hmm. thought it was so clear and um, really, really did well. So I wanted him to address that tonight. 
Yeah, so I would explain systemic racism like this. So um, there's obviously, you know, you know, things that we can see today left over from racism. Um, systemic is just something this this stems from something else. So if you were to run the clock all the way back when speaking when black people speak of systemic racism, we were initially brought to America as slaves. So. Um, they scooped us up from Africa, brought us over to this country as slaves, so forth and so on. That went on for so long. Um, there were wars. There were changes that came. It became unlawful for there to be for people to own people. Um, and so when those laws happened and you could no longer own people anymore, there was no longer slavery. Um, black people were still segregated. It was you couldn't go to school. You couldn't get an education. Um, they were kept back to a certain degree, not to a certain degree. They were they were very much kept back. They lived under harsh conditions, couldn't drink out of the same fountain. Um, things weren't the same. Um, fast forward to if I were to run it back to when my my own grandmother, um, my grandmother lived under harsh racism in America. Um, did not have all the same opportunities as her white counterpart. So if you take a, a a black man my age and a white man my age and run back our family history, just three, four generations, uh, three or four grandparents, you know, go back four times and you'll find that, you know, for this white guy, he was living in an America that was built for him. Um, he had opportunities that were there for him, schools that were there for him. Um, my parents is very much, when I, the older my family is grandparents all you can hear about is their struggle um how they had to fight for everything and how they had to fight to get to school and um fight for for just to be just to get in get in the game and so um you know if you take someone that you know and that was raised you know a black family so you run back a few generations um they haven't had the same academic um opportunities um so in a black community, and that, that even comes to, the, to today. You know, if you go to an a, a inner city community, the, school, the, the schools are horrific. Um, the standard, what's, what's, what's allowed in the schools is terrible in terms of um, what they require of the teachers and the students and so forth and so on. Now, if you're, if you're black and this is where you grew up, that's where you have to go to school. Um, you can't go to the school in the nice neighborhood where if you go to a nice neighborhood, then the, the standard is raised up, in, typically in a white community. Um, and so a white kid that's been in a nice area because their parents have money, because they come from money, they've had a, they've had a, a, a an, they've had better opportunities all the way just from educating their kids. So a kid that's been raised in Watts, Compton, Inglewood, had to go to those school districts. Um, the standard is much lower. Get that same kid, get both those kids to 18. They, they haven't got the same education. Um, and so try to go to college. You know, they're not, they're not starting from the same place. Um, run it back a little further. If you look at the, at, at just some cities where they set up, um, projects and, and these things, um, there's something that's been done to, you know, eliminate the, the father from the home. And so, um, women um, in your in the communities there, if they have a child and they're struggling to pay for it, they can get welfare. Um, they can get a check for their child so long as the dad is not in his life. Um, and so, a lot of, you know you can have thir- three or four generations of women that have had kids, and long as you know you get a check for the kid and a check for food, and you can get free housing in the projects. So long as there's no man in your life, so long as you don't claim a dad, so long as you don't get married uh, and be with a man. And so that creates a whole nother dynamic where there's it's, it's almost advantageous to be promiscuous, have kids um, and it's supported by a system. And I wonder, like, who who thought that up? Who put that together? Why is that arranged in that way? Now you're stuck living in an area where you can't. You know, you, you're, you, everything you get comes from the county where you live. So you got to stay over here in this area. All these kids that you have without a dad, they're going to grow up in this environment. Roughest environment possible. Um, worst schools in the world. That's the environment they're, they're going to grow up. And they're going to see drugs and gangs everywhere that they go. And, you know, that's systemic racism. These there are things that are set up to keep those things in place. Um, as I minister in a church where we, I've seen people get saved that came from these things. And I'm, it's, I realize what a struggle it is to tell someone um, to get a job and you gotta, I, I gotta give up. If, if I get a job making this much and I gotta give up 
the free rent and this and that. It's it's a battle, you know. And so for some people, they have to fight to say, I got to let that go so I can start a new life here with opportunity to get beyond this place, you know. But the idea of systemic racism is, is there's racism. It stems back to racism. It's, you can't ignore that just, you know, four generations ago, um, you know, things were different in our schools. Things were different in our communities. And even though now on the surface, it's not as in your face, um, it's still very much there. The America was built by white men for white men. Um, it's, you know, we're very colorful. We have a lot of people in America. A lot of opportunities are given, um, but things are still a certain way. Um, you know, in, in my experience, things are still kept in a certain way. And so I, I've, I've always, my whole life, you know, that, that was the teaching as a, a black kid. If you, you're going to have to fight harder for the same thing. Uh, you take a black kid and a white kid, uh, give them the same education, um, put them up for the same job. And if, if an employer is looking at a black and a white kid, typically that, that white, if they're the same, this black kid's got, you got to be something, there's got to be something better. That's the America that, that we've experienced. And so, um, again, it's, it's hard to explain that to people who maybe from where they sit, they're like, no, that's not true. You know, um, they just haven't experienced, they haven't seen it, even haven't. For me, living in a family where I get to talk to my grandparents and great grandparents, I get to hear the stories of what they endured and what they went through to get what they got. And you realize, wow, that was that was more of a struggle than um, than it had to be, you know, and it was a struggle because they were black. So if I'm what I'm hearing you say is that there's a, a system that has been set up in our country, especially as it deals with, you know, the inner cities that sort of that not sort of actually perpetuates the the poverty perpetuates the struggle um by giving aid and grants and you know all of that type of thing mm. that also kind of perpetuates the drugs the gangs the the system within that and then i think what happens to a lot of us is we have a tendency to form an opinion about people in that community that we just think of them that, oh, they are like this. And we just kind of naturally, and this is part of, I think, the racist um, mindset that, that, a, that we can have is that we just naturally assume certain things about them because of where they're coming from. Um, and, you know, we might look at, for instance, somebody in your church that loves Jesus and is on fire, but because of, and, and really a great person and, and doing, you know, everything the right way, but maybe because of the community that they've come out of, we might naturally have a tendency to view them a certain way that could be completely wrong. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think everybody can do that. You know, that, that we can, we can have a tendency to, to judge or form an opinion or a conclusion about, you know, how they got this way or, or where that came from. So some of that can be resolved and just, you know, like you said, listening, talking, hearing, um, the more I hear and even just people that I personally know, you know, and I'm, I, I listen to their story and it's a lot of times you hear a person's story. It, it really can change the way you view like, Oh wow. Now hearing where you came from, you're actually doing pretty good in light of that, you know? And so you find out that someone, you know, never had either parent, both parents were in drugs and they were given over to grandma and then grandma died. And then they were raised by an aunt who really didn't want them, but took them in anyway. And, and now this person is 30 years old and they've, they've through Christ, they've kind of battled their way back to some kind of normal, but they're struggling. And you, you get the rest of the story and you think, man, this person was never parented. And so anybody here that was loved and parented and covered, you just can't know what what the life what's what's happening in the heart the head the mind of a person that you were you never had parents you've never had people that genuinely loved you and nurtured you you just had caretakers um yeah it, it, it impacts people's oh, yeah. hearts you know so. and that's all of us i mean i i counsel with you know guys that are that may be struggling in their marriage struggling to be the kind of husband that god you know wanted them to be wants them to be because all of us you hear me say this all the time that you know we are a bunch of broken people none of us have arrived we are a bunch of broken people who are all in the process of being transformed by a loving redeemer you know that's one of the things that we say here a lot 
And, um, but sometimes we forget about the process that we're all in. And so, you know, I'll be talking to a guy who's struggling in his marriage. And as we're talking, it'll come up, you know, that his dad was a horrible father and a horrible, um, you know, husband. And that was his example, you know. So he has never had that example, you know, of what a, a husband is supposed to look like and be like. And so he's learning, you know, he's learning to try to, to allow the Lord to work, you know, in, in his heart. Um, so I, I can see that, how it's part of that transformation. Now, I want to shift gears here. Um, we have a little bit of time left. And um, you, you said that the church should be the place where healing is happening. And I want to share with you two quotes um, that I read this week. And um, I want to have you just respond to both of them. But the first is from um, Tony Evans, a pastor and author. Um, He said this, What we must realize is that race has always been a part of God's plan. But God's plan also included a way to create unity among the different races. That that's plan or that plan's epicenter is Jesus Christ. And through Christ, racially divided groups get reconciled into one body, the church. And the church is the place where all distinctions should no longer cause any divisions because of the unity in Christ, our common goal is advancing God's kingdom through sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when believers from every race come together and operate in biblical unity, we no longer, we will no longer be divided or conquered, but we will be victorious. Can you respond to that? Ah, I love that. Um, I, I agree wholeheartedly first that, you know, um, in the church, the, the thing that's unique about us, then, you know, whatever's going on in the rest of the world is, you know, we have, there's a common, there's a common denominator for us. We've all come to the same place, you know, often in our church, I go the cross in the back and I tell them, look at the, the foot of the cross, there's great equality because we all come to the foot of the cross needing the same thing. doesn't matter what color we are, what our background, um, how grimy our testimony is. Um, we all come to the foot of the cross needing God to forgive us on Christ's behalf. And amen. And as we receive that, um, we walk away from the cross. That's, we're united. Um, this is the forever family of God. And so um, the distinctions that may be out there uh, and that's what we have to pray that they don't make their way in here. Um, the world has racist challenges and issues. The world has, you know, uh, some of it can be wrapped up in people's politics. You got to be really careful uh, how much of that you're taking in as opposed to the word of God. Um, because among this group that have been washed in the blood of Jesus, um, the Bible says this is not even our home. Amen. That we're passing through this place. We're, we're citizens of another kingdom. Um, God is our dad. That unites all of us. We're, we're all part of the same family. So um, I believe that we should be the place that the world, the world should look in here and just see black and white and Asian and Hispanic and everybody else in between um, all worshiping the Lord together. And even going out and serve, they should look and marvel and say, how did that happen? Like, what's the connection here? You know, there are different ages, different races, different backgrounds, different financial structures. But because we love Jesus, it just binds us together in love. And so um, with all that's happening in the world and all the different opinions and stuff, I, my heart is that the church would, I really think this could be an opportunity for the church to really shine if we handle this right, if we, if we take hold of it and say, you know what, let's just be a witness, you know, and if there's a, a white issue going on, I, everybody should come together and say, let's, let's reach out to them with the gospel. There's a, a Hispanic issue, a, a black issue in the world, this united group, this church, we should all be able to come together, whether we're praying, whether we're sharing, because um, we have the answer. The answer is the gospel. And there'll never be an answer other than the gospel that, that we're carrying, that we're sharing. And so, um, yeah, I really think the church should shine in these moments. So. And that goes along with the, the next quote. And this is from a friend of ours, Tony Clark. Tony said this, it's a defining moment for the church because we must get this right. If we don't get this race issue right, then the church will lose. 
But if we get this right and show unity, I believe that this can be our finest hour. Amen. I uh, I would agree with that. And, um, you know, just it, it's I, I there's a there's, you know, can I share this? The, the, yeah, there's there's a story in the book of Acts uh, and Acts chapter six uh, begins in verse one. Um, the early church, they were just getting going. They were thriving. They were booming. Uh, people were getting saved. Signs and miracles were being done. And they had their first hiccup as the, the, the world at that time was very racially divided Jew and Gentile. Um, and it, it creeped into the church. So the church had a program where they would minister to the widows. Um, if someone's husband died in this culture where men were the breadwinners, um, the, the, the widows could come to the church and there was a daily distribution of food to meet their needs. Where there was a group of women that were Hellenists. These are Greek speaking Jews. The mindset in Jewish culture were that these were half breeds. Um, these were Jews that were heavy influenced by, you know, Grecian culture. And so they weren't seen as full Jews. And so as they were going to the church for the daily distribution, they were getting a short bag. You know, they were getting, a, they're, they're watching the Hebrew women get a big fat sack of food and they were getting a little, you know, whatever was left and it was unfair. And this happened in the church. And so the Hellenist women brought their complaint to the apostles and they told them what was going on. And the, the, the apostles did the right thing in that moment. They took the, the apostles, got with the disciples. Um, there was prayer and they said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to raise up seven men from among us. They had qualifications. They had to be of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And it says, and we'll, we'll, we'll appoint them over this business. And the interesting thing, when you go read the list of names, the men that were raised up were men from the other culture. And so they said, look, rather than letting this continue to be an issue in the church, we're going to raise up men in the church that are, have a good reputation, that are spirit filled, full of wisdom. And we're going to let them be in charge of distributing this food. The result was that one, the, the issue was taken care of in the body. But if you read right afterwards, it says, and the church was multiplied. People were getting saved in that environment. Um, God was at work. And my, my prayer for this situation that's happening in our world right now. I really do believe that the church could respond rightly, um, spirit-led, spirit-filled leadership, um, that this could be a time when rather than the church being as divided as the world is, we could become the answer because we have the answer uh, that everybody's looking for and so desperately needs. And so um, my charge, my challenge, my encouragement to my brothers and sisters of every race and group is that we really fight hard to keep Jesus first, um, that you wouldn't be more influenced by politics than you would be influenced by Jesus and what the word of God says, that you wouldn't be more influenced by what you see on television, what you hear in your community, whatever, what other people are saying, that nothing would have more influence on you, how you feel, what you think and what you'd say than God's word. And if we can do that, then we can, we can be a light. We can win some souls for the kingdom of God and we can make a, a huge difference while the world around us is just falling apart because they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do with all of what's going on. And so um, the group with the answers, um, we've got to walk in wisdom so that they can receive these answers that we have for them. Amen. Amen. That good. Yeah. <laughs> Share with them. Uh, what you told your church about the TV. Say that one more time. Share with them what you told your church about the TV. Ah, uh, which part? Um, You're telling it out. You told some of the, the, they need to turn off their TVs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we, we, in our church, I tell them, we, we need some of these people. I said, some of you guys need to turn off your TV. Um, cause, cause here's what happens. As I talk to some people, they sound like TV. They sound like I me. Mean, you sound like that channel news. You sound like that guy. You sound like this person. You, you're, you're just you're, you're just you're just spitting out what you heard. And the, the sad thing is that what you heard didn't come from God. The people that are speaking through you don't even know Jesus. They're going to hell and they're speaking through you. You're giving voice to men and women who don't even know Christ. Um, I won't do it if I'm not quoting Satan's children. So <laughs> when I got 66 books of the Bible, amen. Amen. Bill, thanks so much amen. for being here tonight. Amen. And, amen. Thank you. Man. Uh,
So, Father, we come before you uh, with these sensitive issues and um, difficult things to navigate um, in our humanness. Uh, God, I pray for all my brothers and sisters here, those that will hear this later. Uh, God, I pray you would, by your spirit, Lord, you would lead us uh, in, in, in just how to move forward from here. God, help, help, help none of us to get stuck here. God, I pray that you would move upon our hearts, that we would have compassion for the people around us that are hurting as you have compassion. God, I pray you would fill us with your spirit, that you would stir up in our hearts, Lord, just a, a passion to share the gospel. God, that we would, we would be convinced beyond measure that there's no answer other than the answer that you have provided in the gospel. Lord, help us to proclaim it with that passion, proclaim it with, with that sort of vigor, Lord. And God, I pray for uh, this church and for, for the church in general, the church at large, that in this moment in history, God, I pray you would bring about great unity. I pray there would be racial unity within the church, Lord, that um, the world could look in here for a glimpse of of how to get it right, Lord. Um, how, how do we get beyond all these things, Lord, is, is as we come to the cross, uh, and that, that we're unified. And I pray you would you would do that in this body. You would do it in the body where I'm at in Inglewood. You would do it in churches all over the world. Lord, unite us. Help us to be one. God, that was something you prayed in John 17, that they would be one even as we are one. God, I pray you would unite your church. Help us to repent of any ideologies, any things that we have picked up from the world, politics, or anywhere else. God, I pray that you would just stir us up, that we would take in your truths, your words, that that would influence our thinking, our behavior, our belief, our practice. And um, God, I pray you would have your way. I pray you would take this ugly situation and that you would turn it around for great good. I pray many would be saved. Many would come to know you. Many lives would be changed. Uh, Lord, from those that are in the streets, those that are patrolling the streets um, all over the place, Lord, I pray you would win souls to yourself. Uh, use us in the process, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.